Book of Ruth chapter 4 Meanwhile Boaz went to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along Boaz said come over here my friend and sit down so he went over and sat down Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said sit here and they did so Then he said to the guardian redeemer Naomi who has come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people if you will redeem it do so but if you will not tell me so I will know for no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line I will redeem it he said Then Boaz said on the day you buy the land from Naomi you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property at this the guardian redeemer said then i cannot redeem it because i might endanger my own estate you redeem it yourself i cannot do it now in earlier times in israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, "Buy it yourself," and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, "Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife." in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown today you are witnesses then the elders and all the people at the gate said we are witnesses may the lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together build up the family of Israel may you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the lord gives you by this young woman may your family be like that of perez whom tamar bore to judah so boaz took ruth and she became his wife when he made love to her the lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son the woman said to naomi praise be to the lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer may he become famous throughout israel he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth then naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him the woman living there said naomi has a son and they named him bohobed he was the father of jesse the father of david this then is the family line of perez perez was the father of hezron Hezron the father of Ram Ram the father of Aminadab Aminadab the father of Nashon Nashon the father of Salmon Salmon the father of Boaz Boaz the father of Obed Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David Let's pray Father in heaven as we come to your word now we pray that you would open your word up to us and us to your word that we might know you better and love you more amen 
Well, this morning we come to the end of our journey through the book of Ruth. But before we turn our attention to the final act in chapter 4, I want to try and summarise the story so far with just three words. The first word being emptiness. You may remember the setting back in chapter 1, verse 1. There was a famine in the land in Bethlehem. There was no bread in the house of bread. And so Naomi and her family, they pack their bags and they leave for Moab. But of course, in Moab, things only get worse. Over the course of the next 10 years, Naomi loses her husband and her two sons. All is stripped away. She went away full, but came home empty. Yet in God's providence, her daughter-in-law Ruth was converted. Chapter 1, emptiness. Chapter 2, kindness. You see the question hanging over the text at the start of chapter 2 as these two ladies return back to Bethlehem is this. What will they find? What will Naomi and Ruth find back in the promised land? Well, the answer to that question was kindness. The kindness of God that comes to them through this man called Boaz. Do you remember the picture of the waterfall? The cascading waterfall of kindness, God's kindness to Boaz, overflows into the life of Ruth. And that in turn spills over into the life of Naomi. God is beginning to replace their emptiness with fullness and their sorrow with joy. Chapter 1, emptiness. Chapter 2, kindness. Chapter 3, redemption. Last week, if you remember, we looked at two things. Firstly, Naomi and Ruth and their need for redemption. And secondly, Boaz and his willingness to redeem. Have a look back at verse 11 through to 13, if you would, of chapter 3. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it." Boaz is a willing redeemer and of course in this one scene we are given a glimpse of a far greater reality for in Jesus Christ we have a willing redeemer. We have one who left heaven willingly and came into this world in order to lay down his life on the cross and he did so in order to deliver us from a terrible plight, not physical poverty but spiritual poverty. From our sin and our alienation to God, he died in order to redeem us and bring us back into his eternal family. Boaz is a willing redeemer. But at the start of chapter 4, we still don't know whether he is able to redeem. Because as we saw last week, there is another potential redeemer. And so at the end of chapter 3, we're left in suspense with these two ladies waiting for redemption. Have a look at verse 18. This is where we left off last week. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out 
what happens. For the man, that's Boaz, will not rest until the matter is settled today. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 4. Boaz is on a mission. He is on his way to settle this matter. Have a look down at verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Now, the reference to the town gate is significant. It was the main thoroughfare into the town. It was the place where business was done and transactions were made. You see, in the days before mobile phones, if anybody wanted to meet anybody, then they went to the town gate. And so at first light, that's exactly what Boaz does. And when he arrives, you can see what happened next. Look in verse 1. He sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. It's the same language that we saw back in chapter 2. When Ruth went into the fields that morning seeking food and seeking favour, it just so happened that she wandered into the fields belonging to Boaz. And now, as Boaz sits at the town gate to, to settle this matter, it just so happened that the guy he needs to speak to comes strolling past. And so in verse 2, the meeting begins. Boaz is seated, this other potential redeemer is seated, and the ten elders who are acting as witnesses are also seated. And as you can see, there are two points on the agenda. Firstly, the purchase of land, and secondly, the marriage of Ruth. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Boaz is great here, isn't he? No doubt he could have bought that land and married Ruth and, and no one would have blinked an eyelid. But Boaz does things by the book. That's not the way he operates, look. Why does he do things by the book? Not because he's a stickler for rules, but because he loves the Lord. In fact, as you watch Boaz in action through this story, it seems like the question that he's always asking himself is this, what is the right thing to do? What was the right thing to do when he spotted Ruth in that field the first morning? What was the right thing to do when he was woken in the middle of the night and there was a woman lying at his feet and she proposed to him? What is the right thing to do when it comes to caring for the poor? It is a question that we do well to ask ourselves more frequently. What is the right thing to do? Not just when it comes to the, the purchase of land or, or, or to marriage, the so-called big decisions of life, but in the nitty-gritty, the daily decisions of life, what is the right thing to do by God? Well, the answer to that question is that which brings greatest glory to his name. 
And so once again we're left in suspense. What will the Redeemer say? How will he respond to this offer? Well, we don't have to wait long for the answer in verse 4. I will redeem it, he said. It's a no-brainer. I'll purchase the land. Yet before people start throwing sandals around in verse 7, there's another point on the agenda. Point two is the marriage to Ruth. And of course, both these points are part of the same redemption package. Have a look at verse 5 and 6. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. It's like being in Dragon's Den, isn't it? For those who've seen the programme, I'm out. It's too much. The, The cost is too great. It's not worth the investment. I'm out. Over to you, Boaz. See, it's interesting, isn't it, that initially, when just the land is in view, it was quite an attractive prospect. But as soon as Ruth is mentioned, this guy is backpedalling pretty fast. Why? Because the cost is too great. And that brings us to our first of three main points this morning, the cost of redemption. You see, as soon as Ruth comes into the equation, any firstborn son will be counted as Elimelech's heir and therefore will receive Elimelech's land. Not only would the Redeemer have to support Naomi and Ruth both financially and emotionally, but in all likelihood they would lose the land in the end as well. And so for this unnamed redeemer, the cost is too great. He will not endanger his own estate. You see, to be a redeemer, you need to be selfless. To be a redeemer, you need to be willing to empty yourself for the sake of others. And that's exactly what we see in the Lord Jesus. Have a look at Philippians 2 verse 5 through to 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindsets as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself of his glory by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself from the highest heaven, from the most exalted seats. And he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The costly act of redemption that we see here in Ruth chapter 4 is but a shadow of the costly act of redemption that we see in Jesus Christ, who emptied himself on the cross. He went to the deepest, darkest, loneliest, most despairing place imaginable, and he went there for you, in order that you might know 
the fullness of life. That's why we sing Jesus, my Redeemer. Name above all names. There is no name above the name of Jesus Christ. Precious Lamb of God Messiah. All for sinners slain. And you see, when we experience the loving kindness of God in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, like Boaz, we are able to extend that loving kindness into the lives of others. But please know this. Please hear this this morning. It will cost. Being kind is costly. It costs Boaz. It cost him money. It cost him time. It cost him emotional energy, vast amounts of emotional energy. And you know what? For us, it's no different. As we look around at the people who God has put in our lives, those in our home group, those in the wider church, those in our own nuclear family, those in our community, there are two questions that we need to ask. Number one, what are their needs? Do we know them well enough? Are we in their lives? Are we living alongside them? Do we know their hurts and their heartaches, their joys and their sorrows? Do we know the needs of those around us? And secondly then, are we willing to meet those needs with costly acts of kindness? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be known as a church characterised by kindness? Just as Boaz was a man of standing in his community. Oh, to be known as a church of standing in our community. To be characterised with the kindness of Christ. And a willingness. A willingness to serve others at great cost. Well, as we know, Boaz was more than willing. And so in verse 7 and 8, we have this strange transaction of sandals to seal the deal. And you see, nobody really knows what's going on here. It's been suggested that what happened is that this other guy takes off his sandal and he gives it to Boaz. And Boaz, as a pitcher, steps into this sandal and so assumes the responsibility to redeem. It's a nice picture. We're not sure exactly what is going on, though, but this we do know. The main point here is that redemption is complete. And that's what Boaz announces, look, in verse 9 and 10. Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. And so Ruth's appeal under the cover of darkness on the threshing floor is now ratified in broad daylight at the town gate. Before lunch is even on the table, Boaz, who went out to settle this matter, has got it sorted. And he's got a sandal as well to prove it. Firstly, then we have the cost of redemption. Secondly, we have the blessings of redemption. You see, the blessings that follow in verse 11 through to verse 16 flow from this costly act of redemption. Have a look down at verse 11 and 12. 
Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Interesting, isn't it, how people respond to the good news? On the back of Boaz's announcement, you'd half expect the celebrations to begin to to call in Naomi and Ruth to to join the party that's happening at the town gates. That's not what's happening. They don't throw a party, they call a prayer meeting. And as you can see, they they pray for God's blessing in three directions. Firstly, they pray for Ruth, that she would become like Rachel and Leah, who of course were married to Jacob, from whom the whole nation of Israel descended. Secondly, they pray for Boaz, that he would become famous in Bethlehem. And again, this prayer was answered in ways beyond their comprehension. For the costly and kind, redemptive work of Boaz that points us forward to Jesus Christ has become known way beyond the borders of Bethlehem. And then thirdly, they pray for their offspring. They pray for a fruitful family line. And how little did they know when they prayed that prayer just how fruitful that line of descendants would be. Then in verse 13, we move from the boardroom to the bedroom. With the act of redemption complete and the relevant parties covered in prayer, so the blessings begin to flow, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Now, there are some huge life events packed into that one verse. We have a marriage. We have a consummation of that marriage. We have the conception of life. And we have the birth of a son. And can you see who the primary actor is in all of this? Verse 13. It is the Lord who enabled her to conceive. This is the Lord's doing. In fact, it's all the Lord's doing. From the dodgy decision that Naomi made back in chapter 1 to leave the promised land, to the conversion of Ruth, to the day that she just so happened to go gleaning in the fields of Boaz, to their marriage and to the conception of new life. This is all the work of God. God's gracious hand has been at work through this entire Story And the women know it, verse 14. Look what they say. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to God, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. I wonder though, did you notice who the women are speaking to there in verse 14? Not to Ruth, but to Naomi. You see, this costly act of redemption provides not only for Ruth, but for Naomi as well. And the picture in verse 16 sums it up more beautifully than any 
amount of words. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Do you remember the bundle of grain that Ruth gave to Naomi back in chapter 2? Well, here she receives another bundle. A bundle that is way more precious. A bundle of new life and an heir that will continue the family line. And in that moment, restoration is complete. Bitterness has been turned to sweetness. Sorrow to joy. Her empty hands are now full. Literally full. Every time she changed a nappy, Naomi would have been reminded of the generous provision and grace of God. And of course, that horrible, horrible heartache of chapter 1 has now become a living hope. Verse 17. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of the father of David. And that brings us to our final heading this morning. We have the cost of redemption. We have the blessings of redemption. And lastly, we have the line of redemption. Verse 18 through to the end. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz. Boaz the father of Obed. Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of David. Here's the question that we need to ask ourselves as we begin to draw things to a close. Why does the author choose to finish this beautiful story with a family tree? Answer, because this small story of redemption is part of a bigger story of redemption. You see, we often fail to see the bigger story of of what God is doing in life and in eternity because we're caught up in our own little stories and we ask all the questions and, and we're not sure what's happening and why things work out as they do. All these questions... What we need to hear this morning is that our small story with all its confusion and all its mess is part of a way bigger story of salvation. And one day, God will fit that smaller story into his bigger story. A story that will climax in glory. But until that day arrives, there'll be lots of things we don't understand. Yet we are called to trust in the goodness and the grace of God. And at the end of chapter 4, that's exactly what we're encouraged to do. You see, we have the privilege of seeing something at the end of chapter 4 of the bigger story, something that Naomi and Ruth and Boaz could not see. Because the child, in verse 16, that Naomi is cradling in her arms, would become the grandfather of King David who himself would become the great, 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 times 28, grandfather of Jesus. You see, only in Jesus Christ does this story reach its true climax. And that's why the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, begins with a family tree. A family tree that takes us from Boaz to Obed to Jesse 
to David and all the way to Jesus, who is the Messiah. You see, the life of Christ, all that Christ did, his ministry, his life, his death, the life of Jesus Christ is tied to the story of this widow from Moab who was led to faith by her mother-in-law and just so happened to go gleaning in the fields belonging to Boaz. The story of Ruth is a story of God's gracious dealings with ordinary men and women like you and me. And I think it could be summed up in four words. Emptiness, kindness, redemption and fullness. That's the story of Ruth. Emptiness to fullness because of loving kindness and costly redemption. Let's pray. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Father, we praise you that Jesus came into this world to bring life and life in all its fullness. Help us to see, Lord. Help us all to see this morning that outside of Christ there is no life. In the end we will be left empty. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give this world life. Father, please help us marvel at your kindness and please help us to embrace your redemption and help us to experience that fullness both now and in all eternity we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.